Namaste. As part of collected works of the mother, <coughs> today we take up uh, volume one, prayers and meditations, and this is likely to run through a few talks as a mini series. Most of the works will be like that, but this is a very very special work. It's uh, I would say that it is a work which one should approach with the sense of the sacred. Every work is sacred, but this very special. And uh, mother has at one place uh, spoken of its its power, something similar to Savitri. And there is a reason behind it, apart from the fact of her inmost experiences being there, not the inmost, but many of the experiences being here. And Savitri also, we can see that there are there the mother's experiences. So you come in contact with their inner consciousness and inner being, which is something very special. You bypass the outer, so to say. Uh, but um, in this particular work, this comparison with Savitri is uh, in an, another way also. And that is in the original French. So these prayers were written in original French. And in the original French, there is a rhythm in it, which cannot be... Uh, like any other Shubhindu Savitri, the moment you translate it, you lose the rhythm. Some people have tried, done a very good translation. But the original French is the way to read it. And the mother herself said when they, are, they were translated, they lost, it loses most of its force. At the same time, uh, later on, she, uh, she was not keen to republish, reprint the book. It was printed in 1941 or maybe a little before that, 37 is the last prayer, 41 or 42. And when they wanted to reprint it, uh, she was not very keen because of the translations were not very good. So there were some prayers which were translated by Shurabindo. So she said, okay, those prayers can come. So we have that separate book also available where we have prayers translated by Shurabindo. And in the uh, collected works, uh, we will see that these prayers which are translated by Shurabindo, some of them are not complete prayers but portions. So they are marked by an asterisk. So here we see a total of 313 prayers. But this is not the only now total number of prayers that he wrote. She wrote in five notebooks and uh, this went on for many years. She would sit in the morning <clears throat> she would not plan anything. It seems that her coffee would be kept on the windowsill. And as she is sitting quietly in meditation, then things would arise spontaneously in her mind and her inner being as an intense aspiration. And as sincerely as possible, she was noting down these aspirations as part of her communication with the Divine. But then, well, as we know that mother has moved always forward. So much later, if you read uh, something in the 60s, she say, I don't find them very much uh, now when I look back at them, my her own prayers and meditations. She says, I find them very childish. And the reason is, she gives a very interesting reason. She says, all this unworthiness and all that, it is really unnecessary and then she says, because she had discovered the great secret. We see this on the discovery, identification. 
and that great secret she says is that beyond the manifest and the unmanifest there is love she says that but here she is addressing the lord as thou you him but obviously when she is completely identified it's a different thing altogether so the reason is that in prayers and meditations that they are there in this book the mother has written these prayers in identification with the earth consciousness so number 1 she is praying for the whole earth and that comes in some of the prayers number 2 she is showing us how to pray because we have all kinds of prayers we have mechanical prayers which we pick up but unless we don't make those prayer our own they are mechanical prayers and they are also prayers for propitiating something for getting some gifts boons but these prayers are truly prayers of self giving and prayers of intense aspiration so we can see and she is asking for inner things wherever there is at all a communication like that so these prayers uh, show us the aspiring psychic how to pray and second is praying for the earth consciousness then when we go through these prayers we will see that they are a complete uh, those who want to achieve self mastery those who want to take the path of yoga and those who want to work for the divine so these prayer show us the way so how to arrive at self mastery when circumstances are Uh, difficult when situations are not according to our liking when there are different reactions which come in our being so how to really surmount them all that is there in these prayers then uh, how to use everyday life and turn it into yoga that is there and for working for the divine how to serve the divine so we have these prayers which are so beautiful uh, uh, i remember one on a very personal note that once uh, a work was given to in one of the centers it came my way is a whole background to it so i prayed to the mother and offered to her and i said oh, your guidance so when i opened the prayers and meditation there was a word that even in the work that makes us progress most a work of the divine we should be disinterested now this word made me i said if i am disinterested how do i work so first i looked at the meaning then i tried to understand then i realized that yes because we may get attached even in our service the ego gets attached wants to do it in a certain way wants certain results whereas our attitude should be tomorrow that work is taken away from us we should be as uh, as shubindu says that the sword is a delight in the battle it is a delight when it is kept in the waiting it is a delight when it is broken and thrown aside that equal joy discover so that one word made me discover so many things that uh, and then one of the prayers she speaks about vital should be one should distrust uh, the vital you know vital wants to do the work very enthusiastically like this pandal we'll arrange and all that organize and you know we are doing lot of hari bari thing whereas true service is done in peace and silence in peace and silence the eternal manifest so there are plenty of um, uh, guidance for us and most importantly these prayers are the create for us put forward before us a living example which is so important because we may read all the thing but we don't know what is the example to be followed so in indian thought this has given been given a great importance 
that a living example should be there before us. So that's why the lives of those who have passed before us, the lives of the great ones, the masters, it shows us what is the way to approach, what is the way to uh, go through life and its various things. For instance, when there is a sickness, what should we do? And we have a prayer about that. Very interestingly, just when the corona had started, we had read that prayer accidentally, just opened, yes, uh, March 17, I still remember. And where she gives a guidance how we should be when there is a situation and how everything can become a yoga. So, uh, there are plenty of things in this, this book. Broadly, we can divide them in three main parts. One is a series of prayers which are before she comes to Pondicherry and a day or two after that. So, till let us say 3rd April 1914. The prayers start in November 12th, 1912. So, that's the first prayer. So, till 1914, 3rd April, we can say one section. Then there is this number of prayers which is almost the same amount, a little more than that, more than this first part, which run from 4th, uh, 3rd April or 4th April 1914 till 22nd February 1915. So 22nd February, the mother leaves Pondicherry. There are a lot of prayers she has written while she is present here. The bulk of prayers are written during that period also because the First World War had started. So these prayers have a lot of, she becomes the Yagyavedi and offers herself in the Holocaust. Like the story of Sati, where to save the world, the Divine Mother sacrifices herself. So we read that, we'll read some of them as we go through. And then from 1915, or rather March 1915, because after 22nd February we don't see a prayer, March it starts. When she is going away, from Pondicherry. She, till 1937, the last prayer is 1937, uh, there are number of prayers. There are very few, not too many, I mean, still substantial. So many of these prayers are when she's away, when she's in Tokyo, and many of them relate to certain experiences going on in her inner life as well as outer life. So we'll talk about them as we touch upon some of these prayers. The, the number of prayers were about five full notebooks and uh, most of these prayers, she used to write almost daily during this period. So most of these prayers, I think about four-fifths of them or at least two-thirds of them, have not been published because she tore them and burnt it away. Mother didn't want them to be published. In fact, she didn't want these prayers to be published. So she had brought with her, they used to lie in a cupboard. And one day, um, Shubindo asked her, and she showed a few. Then Shubindo asked the whole lot, <laughs> and he saw. Then he wanted these diaries to be published. So mother made a selection, helped by Shubindo. As I said, some of them were translated by him. And all the rest she tore away. And even these prayers, ultimately, after giving for publication, she burnt away. But few of them, fragments in her own handwriting, have gone to people. So you can imagine what kind of a power there was. And there must have been a tremendous occult. Obviously, it is there. For which reasons, he did not want them to go into any kind of hands. So as I said, this is to be approached with the sense of the sacred. These prayers are not the end of all the prayers that she has ever written. So we will find in volume 2, there are about 9 prayers of the mother, which are part of the prayers and meditations, but not included here. They were found later on, and they are part of um, 
I mean, they were written in different points of times. So this one. Second, later on. Now here the prayers end in 1937. Then there are prayers she gave to people, individual. Like we have some other prayers she gave to Monada for healing and she gave to different people. So there are prayers like that which are not included here. There are prayers which she gave to groups. For instance, prayer of the cells of the body to the physical education department. Uh, prayer about uh, you know eating. How when we are eating, let this food infuse into me the supramental forces. All those prayers are not included here. They they are found in agenda. When we speak about agenda, we'll pick up some of these prayers. But one set of prayers which I feel are important is prayers which she wrote before much earlier. So these prayers where she addresses the divine. Uh, different aspects of the divine in which one of the most prominent aspect comes out is Lord God of kindness and mercy. And she is praying to the Lord in different ways. Lord God of oneness, Lord God of love, all these different ways she is addressing to the divine. And those prayers are there. Uh, they are in French. Uh, some of them are have a Buddhist touch. Mahima, Twar. So they are very powerful, beautiful prayers. And they are there in the agenda where she invokes these different gods, uh, different aspects of the one divine, not the gods, aspects of the one divine. So this whole thing forms a whole set of prayers given by the mother. So this one, how to approach, as I said, there are different ways, different people approach it. If one can read original in French, it's wonderful. But otherwise, yes, English is the next best. So when we read these prayers... It should be read in a state of inner concentration. And there are two ways to go about it. One is to read them, reflect upon them, let them go deep inside us. Second, which along with that, at least I found very useful in my personal life, is to write them. So, both Savitri, the synthesis of yoga uh, and prayers and meditations. So, this used to be a regular routine and very helpful. Uh, may not be the whole prayer, but maybe a passage. Just pick up that passage and just write it. Mother used to also play a game with these prayers. Sometimes she would ask them to make a prayer. Sometimes she would ask questions from some prayer. Like which is the shortest prayer. So she used to play a game with these the children who are around her. So this is the power of these prayers. Its, its value is right there. When these prayers being, were being published, the mother wrote something as a message. Who should read this book? <laughs> so this is something. For whom this book is meant? This book is not meant just to, you know, make it like a road that every child in the school is doing her prayer. For, for children, she has given another prayer. Make of us the hero warriors we aspire to become. So like that, there are different prayers. But these prayers specifically are meant for a group category of people. Not that others cannot read it. But this is what one should understand. Some give their soul to the divine. Some their life. What is meant by soul giving to the divine? Of course we all know. My life is yours. My destiny is yours. Whatever way you want to take it. I have no other aspiration except to fulfill your work, your will upon earth. Is soul given. Then life. Life has various aspects. Everything is at the service of the divine. Some offer their work 
whatever number of hours we give for the divine work, some their money. So money is the, if we have nothing else, at least we can give money. So when people give money, it's not that they are doing a favor to the divine, the divine is doing a favor to them. Because uh, they can't do anything else, so at least they have a, you know, <laughs> uh, they have an opportunity to participate in the yagya, dravya yagya. So some give their soul to the divine, some their life, some offer their work, some their money. A few concentrate, a few consecrate all of themselves and all they have, soul, life, work, wealth. These are the true children of God. Others give nothing. These, whatever their position, power and riches are for the divine purpose, valueless ciphers. Ciphers is a nothing, zero. So they just want and the world is full of people who just want, 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 want. When it comes to giving, they start calculating. So, there are many who don't give anything to the divine, but they want. Not that the divine is saying that you cannot ask. But all that she is saying, from the divine purpose point of view, they are valueless ciphers. Divine will give. That is, his nature is to give. But some give themselves to the divine. And that's, these prayers are meant for them. This book is meant for those who aspire for an utter consecration to the divine. If you want to consecrate our life to the divine, if you want to consecrate all of our being to the divine, then this book has a meaning. Again, we can read it, we will be ready, prepared, but this is the power of this work. It shows us the way. And uh, then later on she writes, this book comprises extracts from a diary written during years of intensive yogic discipline. It may serve as a spiritual guide to those three principal categories of seekers. Now, one is for whom it is bent. Second is, however, it can serve as a guide to whom three principal categories. Those who have undertaken self-mastery. Those who want to find the road leading to the divine. Those who aspire to consecrate themselves more and more to the divine work. So those who want to master themselves, their nature, uh, as they walk through life, and those who want to find the road leading to the divine, and those who want to consecrate themselves more and more to the divine work. These prayers are not instructions. The mother and Shirobindo would never do that. They, because that's how religions are formed. Everybody doing the same thing, wearing the same dress. You know, standardized perfection. This is done by mind. But they don't do that. They show us the way. Now you see, this, there is a difference between uh, giving standardized instruction and showing the way, leading and even carry us on the way. So when a, as they say, in a path or a panth as it is called in Hindi or in a cult, they tell everybody to do the same practice. A particular practice. It could be a way of meditation, it could be a kriya, whatever it is. And they showed that is the goal. So now they have the path, they have the goal and they have a method. And Shivindu describes this like people uh, swimming in a canal. <laughs> you are very well known. <laughs> or in a swimming pool. 
But here in this yoga, each one has his own unique path. There comes the challenge. So while you have the same goal, but even that same goal, you can't tell everybody this is a yoga of transformation, therefore you aspire for the transformation. No. Some may want to give themselves to the divine. Others may aspire for work for the divine. Some may aspire for knowledge. Others for love. Some just want to feel the joy of belonging to the divine. So each one, even though the goal is one, still there would be different stages when the aspiration intensifies, changes, paths also depending on our nature. So the difference in this and a standardized methods which people find in different books is that doesn't matter whatever way, whatever approach you are taking, whatever method you are practicing. Most important is what is the approach that we should have towards it. I may sit in meditation, use a particular technique, but uh, there may be 101 insincerities within me. So that's not going to help. So this also, all this she will indicate in the prayers. So let me just start. I have no fixed format because I don't want to rush through the book. But uh, obviously I won't be reading every prayer in detail. We have already done that. At least till uh, I think 1st April all the prayers have been read. So here we'll just touch upon some of the important aspects. For example, the prayers start on November 2nd, 1912. And she reveals why one should write. Because often people say, Divine knows everything, why should I say to the Divine? So it is like that, let's say there is a, uh, you have got some gift coming from, let's say the highest authority, whatever it is. And the gift comes to the door. Now, originally you will get a message that, you know, uh, this is a gift for you or whatever. Let's say you have one in some place, some medal or something in some exams. So if you say, I won't even open the door and check my letters, you have to do something. So you have to open the door and at least receive. Receive the summons, receive the call, receive the letter. So there is something which the divine does and there is something which we have to do. So it's a joint communion. In this communion, the divine does the most. It is said in ancient mystic literature that for each step we take, the divine takes 70 steps. I would say 100,000 steps. But that one step we have to take. So she says why we need to write. The reason for this written meditation, its justification lies in the very fact of addressing it daily to thee. In this way I shall put into material shape each day a little of the conversation I have so often with thee. I shall make my confession to thee as well as it may be, not because I think I can tell thee anything, for thou art thyself everything, but our artificial and exterior way of seeing and understanding is, if it may be so said, foreign to thee, opposed to thy nature. So what happens is, I'm in great distress, mother, I've done this. Sometimes, you know, original sense of confession was this only. It was regarded as a purge. Means, when you confess, you have thrown it out of your system. And we have a lot of jokes about it. But the way it was practiced in the Christian religion, mother has spoken about it, that how, uh, when she would see a priest and a dark uh, spider and even sometimes an asura sitting. That's not how confession is to be made. Confession means 
we become conscious. This is what has happened. Without shame or guilt, we present it to the Lord. The moment a priest comes between us and the divine, there is a problem. When a psychiatrist comes, there is less of a problem. He is a professional, poor fellow. <laughs> he doesn't understand confession. He analyzes it. But when a priest comes, he becomes a privy to that to which nobody else has a right to be a privy. So when we speak to the divine, many things which we otherwise would keep inside because we don't want to see them. We present before her. What does the divine do? We think, oh, it is so serious, so big. He just would smile because this way is very foreign to him. Why? Because he is himself all this. He will say, Bacha, why? I am yourself. Don't you see? Whom will I punish? I have become you. So you mean to say I should punish myself? No, no, I have done a great mistake. Ah, it is ignorance. Don't worry. I'll remove your ignorance. So divine way of seeing things is very different. But by doing this, we bring our consciousness in contact with the divine. We do that little bit. He knows everything. He has become everything. So it should be very clear. Confession is not to an extraterrestrial God who doesn't understand us, who may punish us or reward us. But confession is to someone who has become ourselves. This is the difference of conception between Semitic idea of God and Indian conception. So mother is speaking about this conception which we have in our own Vedanta that he has become everything. And then when we bring it out, we have done from our side this little bit to join hands. As we know there are stories of that man giving that one grain of wheat to the divine and it changes into a grain of gold. So he touches it, he does what he has to do with it and he changes into it into a uh, transformed something. So this is the whole idea of writing. The least that happens is we become conscious because there are things we cannot share with anybody. There is a corner which we can't open to anyone. Of course, we may deliberately try to open a side, add some uh, spice and put it across. Uh, that's a different story. But there are things where we honestly, if we look at ourselves, so this idea we must share everything with everybody. No, because who will understand after all? But the divine will understand. Not only understand, he will do what is needed to be done. So that's what is the purpose. And here we see something very remarkable. In November 19, 1912, somebody has asked her that, uh, have you realized the divine? <laughs> Mother writes, I said yesterday to the Englishman, to that Englishman who is seeking for thee with so sincere a desire that I had definitively found thee. That the union was constant. So, so already by then, we know that even before that, she was in a state of constant union. But then she was doing it for earth and uh, making that union complete in all the details. And this prayer closes with something very beautiful. Again, 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 here we see the highest conception of God that ever can be. A different conception of God, extraterrestrially, somewhere in the skies. Another conception that he is all this, you know, he is inside us. That's another conception. And there is still greater conception that not only all is in him and he is in all, but he has become everything. This is the greatest conception. The mother speaks of this. Thou art all. So which God is he addressing? Thou art all everywhere and in all. And this body which acts is thy own body. 
just as is the whole universe in its entirety. It is thou who breathest, thinkest and lovest in this substance which being thyself desires to be thy willing servant. It's a double identification. It is thyself and yet this body wants to be thy servant. What a wonderful, marvelous way. Okay, this one, next prayer starts with something very interesting. She is giving thanks to the divine. How do we have thanksgiving? We give for various reasons. This happened, that happened. But to give thanks simply because the divine exists. Just imagine life. If there is no divine, that he has called us to the path, that he has at least made us conscious that there is someone like the divine. So she says, What a hymn of thanksgiving should I not be raising at each moment unto thee? Everywhere and in everything around me, thou revealest thyself, and in me thy will and consciousness express themselves always more and more clearly. Even to the point of my having almost entirely lost the gross illusion of me and mine. So, when we read these prayers, as I said, we have that wonderful, of course, experience of Sri Aurobindo in Alipur Chil, Vasudevam Sarvamiti. Now, this is, imagine, <laughs> she is not using the word Brahman. If you type search, one would say, but where is the Brahman realized? <laughs> this is beyond. That's why when the mother came, she said, I never had that kind of trance which uh, here in India people speak about. She said, you have gone way beyond the rishis of the Upanishads. This is yoga of the future. That's why Shubhinda said when the mother came, his own yoga took a leap. Just imagine, thou everywhere and always, nothing but thou in the essence and in the manifestation. O shadow and illusion, dissolve. O suffering, fade and disappear. Lord, supreme, art thou not there? It is such a marvelous remedy for any kind of darkness that one may see around. And Shivinda puts it in a aphoristic way later. As sin is a trick of Krishna and later on. See, behind every mask, the moment you say, if there is a great darkness, circumstance, it looks, everything is going topsy-turvy. What do you say? Come on, why are you playing this game with me? You only have become this, fine. And when you take that approach that all this shadow is nothing, she speaks about laughing at the adversary. So then he says, okay, he has discovered me even here. It comes when we are, you know, as he said, during period of intensive yogic discipline. But that's what yoga is about. To see the divine everywhere and in everything is the first step. <laughs> that's why I was taking a dig at all these Blocks and all, it's you have to see the divine in everything and everywhere. Then everybody associates yoga with sitting in a certain posture and concentrating in a certain way. And after two hours of good meditative sleep, you come and say, Ah, I had a good meditation. <laughs> Look at what she says November 28, 
The outer life, the activity of each day and each instant, is it not the indispensable complement of our hours of meditation and contemplation? And is not the proportion of time given to each the exact image of the proportion which exists between the amount of effort to be made for the preparation and realization, for meditation, contemplation, Union is the result obtained. The flower that blooms, the daily activity is the anvil on which all the elements must pass and repass in order to be purified, refined, made supple and ripe for the illumination which contemplation gives to them. So, the proof of the pudding is in eating it. The test of the meditation is how we go about in our everyday life. If after sitting for hours in meditation, one gets annoyed, angry, reacts in just the same way as anywhere else or in worse ways, then it's a sign that nothing is really ready. So this is the preparation. When this preparation is done, then meditation and contemplation become so much more effective. And therefore she says, Therefore our pride and satisfaction with oneself the worst of all obstacles. So we should go very modestly. We must take advantage of all the minute opportunities offered to need and purify some of the innumerable elements. So, so many opportunities come our way. From the person on the road who makes a remark, from praise, criticism. That's why the Gita speaks about it. They use the word equality. Mother doesn't use the word. But she says all of this, how we respond, react, to them and in that is the preparation so okay these are just some of the prayers these are very interesting uh, beautiful prayer on December 5th 1912 very powerful when we are disturbed and we are praying and we get more disturbed and we are praying and we get more and more disturbed and agitated because we want the answer we have a result in mind already Divine has another result in mind. In his notebook there is written, No, this giving this thing to this fellow is not good. But we want that poison rasmalai. <laughs> so, he is denying it, denying it. So now, there is something very interesting. When we are thus agitated, so we are actually interfering with the divine manifestation. So in peace and silence, the eternal manifests. Allow nothing to disturb you and the eternal will manifest. Have perfect equality in face of all and the eternal will be there. So what is needed is not, sometimes effort becomes a block constantly. Instead of that, stay in peace, equality and if you may add trust that the divine is there, he is everywhere in everything. He is doing and he will do what is needed. Time to time we can remind him, as Shubhendra says to Nirodbaran. But we have to remain in that state of peace. Then the manifestation, divine action becomes so much more powerful. So she says something interestingly. Yes, we should not put too much intensity, too much effort into our seeking for thee. The effort and intensity become a veil in front of thee. We must not desire to see thee. For that is still a mental agitation 
which obscures the eternal presence. It is in the most complete peace, serenity and equality that all is thou, even as thou art all. So what is important is not to allow ourselves to be disturbed, agitated. Oh, I am seeking the divine so many days, I can't meditate. Why this is not happening, that is not happening. Just sit quietly. Like a simple child. The confidence of a child. We trust in the Divine Mother. Just go and sit. It doesn't matter. So that is what is important. And at the end of this prayer she says, And that is better than all the meditations in the world. So instead of trying to, you know, analyze, think. Okay. Then one day, she is asked to speak. I think this is uh, Abdul Baha's group or some other group. So normally it's about how she looks at what is speech. So she says, Thy light was manifested through my mouth yesterday and it met no resistance in me. The instrument was willing, supple, keen of edge. It is thou who art the doer in each thing and each being and he who is near enough to thee to see thee in all actions without exception will know how to transform each act into a benediction. Isn't it the profoundest truth of the Gita revealed in such simple words? Look at it. Thou who art the doer, I am an instrument. Oh, I have to go. I have to do this. I have so many things to my credit. Yet the first realization is you are not the doer. The divine is the doer. What is my role then? My role is not to obstruct the working of the divine. So she is saying that your light had manifested. And the instrument, she makes an observation, was receptive, it was keen on edge and it transmitted everything without any kind of distortion. That's all that our role is. And in that, the more peaceful we are, the better things are. So, as we see so many, there is a very, very beautiful prayer where she is praying to earth and the divine is, there are some prayers where she is noting the communication of the divine to her addressing the earth. This prayer is very, very powerful. All prayers are beautiful and powerful. But this one in times of distress, when we look at the suffering all around, uh, and we feel that sometimes share that pain of this world, this struggle. For a doctor, it's pretty common. Huh? When you see people around, you don't have individually any suffering. But when you see and you, you feel that I wish all this were healed, all this suffering vanished. So I used to have this and when I read this prayer, it was such a blessing to read it. This February 5th, 1913, Thy voice is heard as a melodious chant in the stillness of my heart and is translated in my head by words which are inadequate and yet replete with thee. And these words are addressed to the earth and say to her. Now start with inverted commas. So when we look at the world around and some people become activists, some become cynics. Isn't it? Some become hopeless. Array, look at all this. But what should be our attitude? And she is saying not just about attitude because she is hearing the Lord addressing earth. And what is this address? This is something amazing. Poor, sorrowful earth. 
Remember that I am present in thee and lose not hope. So what is the source of hope? Nothing outer. The Lord is present in earth, not upon earth. That time to time, Sambhavami Yuge Yuge. He is present in earth, he is present in matter, he is present in all of us. And now he says something very beautiful. Each effort, each grief, each joy and each pang, each call of thy heart, each aspiration of thy soul, each renewal of the seasons, all, all without exception, what seems to thee sorrowful and what seems to thee joyous. What seems to thee ugly and what seems to thee beautiful? Mark the word seems. All infallibly lead thee towards me, who are who am endless peace, shadowless light, perfect harmony, certitude, rest, and supreme blessedness. Through all these he is drawing us. Reminds us of a line in Savitri. Rather two passages. One of them is, Lean for thy soul's support on heaven's strength. It starts with, Make of thy daily way a pilgrimage. Lean for thy soul's strength on heaven, soul's support on heaven's strength. For through small joys and griefs thou movest towards God. This is another one where he says, uh, he who has made this world is ever its Lord. And then he continues that he works through the fears, vicissitudes of our life. He works through the hard breath of battle and toil. He works through our sins, our sorrows and our tears. All these are leading us. This is the ultimate Vedanta that one can ever imagine if you want to put it. Everything is leading us toward divine. And that is the source of hope. Not that, oh, you are a sinner, you are cast, outcast. And then, hearken, O earth, to the sublime voice that arises. Hearken and take new courage. So, everything is leading us towards the divine. It's difficult, I don't know, once you open this book, where to stop, where to continue. I'll just read one more prayer and then we'll take a pause. Okay. So those sadhu sannyasis <laughs> who go into a cave <laughs> to find the divine, cutting off from the world. June 15, 1913. Even he who might have arrived at perfect contemplation in silence and solitude could only have done so by extracting himself from his body, by making an abstraction of himself, and thus the substance of which the body is constituted would remain as impure, as imperfect as before, since he would have abandoned it to itself by a misguided mysticism, by the attraction of supraphysical splendors, by the egoistic desire of being united with thee for his personal satisfaction, he would have turned his back 
upon the reason of his earthly existence. Further, he would have refused coward-like to accomplish his mission to redeem and purify matter. That's why we came. Otherwise, what is the purpose of coming? I mean, he who created and pushed the soul in only to remind, oh, sorry, 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 you have to come back to me. All this is pain and suffering and illusion. Then what's the point? Says that was the purpose why our souls came. To know that a part of a being is perfectly pure, to commune with that purity, to be identified with it, can be useful only if we subsequently utilize this knowledge for hastening the earthly transfiguration, for accomplishing thy sublime work. This is 1930. Mother has not met Shirobindo. So you can see when Shirobindo says her yoga was moving in its own way towards the same goal. In fact, till then Shirobindo has not even really written clearly what is the goal. Mother says very clearly that transformation, individual salvation is not enough. We'll read, I think. Uh, okay, one last one, August second, nineteen thirteen. So often we think about circumstances, and we. Mm. I wish there are people who are outside the ashram who wish. I wish I was in the ashram. <laughs> the people in the ashram think, <laughs> did I make a mistake? <laughs> maybe, maybe so. People are. It's what a waste of time. I mean, see, it, it's not that everybody has to be in the ashram. It is also not that you have to be outside. To each is calling, as simple as that. But this, we launch ourselves into a struggle. I should be there. Are wherever you are, at least you <laughs> take opportunity. So, again, she hears an inner voice. What does this voice tell her? See how small is the importance of external circumstances. So that's why when people would ask the mother to change the department, she says, "I'll do it, but you'll have the same problem in another department." <laughs> Sometimes she, somebody asked her to change the house, so the mother said, "If you change yourself, you don't need to change your house." But if you change the house and do not change yourself, you will have the same problem. You carry yourself wherever you go. So wherever one is, so she says, see how small is the importance of external circumstances. Why strain and suffer? Why strain and stiffen in the effort to realize thy conception of the truth? Oh, I am a big scholar, a very well qualified person. Why the mother is sending me to this small little work? <laughs> there is no to teach us. There is no small or big work in God's eyes. How I told about Rishabh Chanji in the furniture department, and then we had this um, Niroda in the timber go down. He's a doctor trained from London. So <laughs> when I had come and they put me in the marbling, so uh, Maniben was there. She asked me. Are you sure you are a doctor? You want to? I said, if Niruddha can go to timber, go down. I I don't know whether I'll do a better job, but I will definitely progress <laughs> because so this idea I should be here, and then people are all their life unhappy because they were somewhere else. 
Whereas wherever you have been put by the divine, take that as an opportunity. Be more supple. Suppleness is important. More confident. The only thing thou has to do is not to let thyself be troubled by anything. To torment oneself about doing good things. About doing good. So this is the last we'll read today and then we'll stop. To torment oneself about doing good brings about as bad results as bad will. Oh, did I do the right thing? This over-analysis of the mind. Should I have? Should I have not? This constantly, I should be a good guy. So why does it bring bad results? There is a very interesting small little example. You have to live by the divine will. So one day there is a lady who stopped, her car stopped in front of the ashram. And the driver told her that I want to go and do pranam amma. So amma, one English lady or a French lady, okay, okay. And Udarda saw this and wanted to tell her, you know what is written in the Bible? It's much easier to make a camel pass through the eye of a needle than to make a rich man turn to God. But he said, no, what am I trying to say? He didn't say. And he told mother very proudly, you know, ma, I, I felt the urge to say and I didn't say. He said, but you should have said, I was the one who had put these words in your mouth. Had you uttered them, this lady's life may have changed. <laughs> so, but you see, good. I want to be good. That's what Arjun's problem. See, again, so beautifully. What is Arjun's problem? I want to be a good guy. What will people think? I am responsible for the Varna Sankar. I am responsible for killing my own people. She can just say, hold on, hold on. <laughs> you are responsible to me and I am responsible to you. That's the teaching in a sense. So this idea, many times I see nowadays this idea of dharma as duty. Dharma is not duty. And we'll talk about it elsewhere. Dharma is fulfilling God's will within and in creation. There is no other duty. Duty is a conception which is required when we don't have dharma. It is the lamp we need. It's a social construct. Which is okay, which is important when we don't have the light, you use that machis katilli. The, sorry, Matchstick. Somebody told me, please don't use Hindi words in between English. Quite right. <laughs> so don't use the matchstick. matchstick. But when you have God, it's like when uh, Shubhinda says that that Vedanta is uh, God's lamp when you are walking in the night. But when God, Krishna is before you, with you, then the lamp is not needed. <laughs> Imagine that, you know, divine is walking with you and you say, uh, he is saying walk this way No, no uh, In my With this lamp No, <laughs> what I can see here <laughs> What will he say? <laughs> he will say I am with you I am carrying you So that's why she uses the word Be confident Be supple Be confident But what is important is The divine's will should be done So our conception To torment oneself about doing good Brings about as bad results as bad will it is in the calm of deep waters that lies the true possibility of true service. Child, trouble not thyself. Silence, peace, peace. Namaste. Mm.